Well, good morning once again. Uh, as Dennis mentioned, I'm Pastor Nathan. I'm our student pastor here at First Baptist Wataga. And uh, Dennis was kind enough to let me uh, preach this week. And I'm, I'm actually really excited to do so because this passage is closely related to a passage I got to preach on about a month or so ago. I was in 1 John 2. It's actually the, the first time we see the word antichrist used. And, and, and John introduces this concept back then of the spirit of the antichrist at work in the world. And he briefly mentions it there, but in today's passage, we're going to get to see a little bit more of what he meant by that. But to get us started, let me introduce the main idea. Uh, yesterday morning, I, uh, I went downtown to downtown Fort Worth and I ran a 5K. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's about uh, three miles that, that you, you run. In fact, I went down there with Pastor Matthew, our worship pastor, and my brother Jonathan. And we went and, and foolishly in 30 degree weather, we decided that that would be a good miles. And, um, and uh, I, I've actually done those races for several years now. It, it's a weird little habit of mine to, to run until I want to die and, and then get back up and do it again. So um, a few years ago, I, I noticed something in a race, and, and, and I was thinking about it again this morning and yesterday, that at that race, there's, there's a lot of things that are important. Now, a lot of things that need to go right for a good race to be run. And, and you might think, especially guys who are, who are in high school and racing cross country and track competitively, or, or even guys in college doing that, you might think that the main, most important person at the, at that race is like the race official, the one who keeps the clock and makes sure that when you cross the line, he marks what place you got so that if you won, that you get a prize for it. But I, I learned a few years ago that the most important person at the race is actually the volunteers who are throughout the course helping you stay on course, right? Because oftentimes they use uh, volunteers, many times uh, high school students who need community service hours for uh, their National Honor Society or something of the like, and they'll station them throughout the course, and they're meant to cheer the runners on, but they're also meant to help them stay on the path because it can be hard to mark a, a regular, like a street race, right? Because we have to like put cones in the road and run on the, the road, and so we close places off. But uh, I learned in that race I did several years ago, we had a small turnout, and it was me, and I was, really had one other guy that I was trying to race against, and I wanted to beat this one guy. I set my targets on him. I was like, I want to try to get him, but I couldn't do it. I was about 50 meters uh, behind him for most of the race, and we get to the last mile, and lo and behold, we come up on a fork in the road, all right? So the path is either left or right, and we're the last mile, and there's a little girl standing there who's meant to, to tell us which way to go, but she's a little too shy, and she can't bring it in her to point one way or the other. And so the other guy just kind of assumed, I guess it's to the right, and so he turns right. I had lived in the neighborhood and knew the course a little bit better because they'd used it in other races. And I thought, I'm pretty sure it's to the left. And of course, as soon as he turned right, that little girl goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because <laughs> he was supposed to turn left. And he kind of looks back and figures it out. And he goes, oh, cuts back across and gets in the right path. The problem is, in that time, there had been 50 meters between us. And now, there's about five right? And so I was uh, renewed with hope and energy. And, and towards the end of the race, I, I managed to, to outrun him. I mean, he had to run a little extra because he had to come back, right? And, and I managed to beat him. I remember thinking, I didn't deserve that because he simply took the wrong way. And that, made, that was the deciding factor. And you see, that's, that's just 
the most important part of the race is knowing which way to go. And uh, it's true about lots of things. We have to make choices all the time in our life and figure out which way to go, and it often makes the difference in in how something turns out. And uh, the truth is, in 1 John, I I see this issue at at hand. John is going to talk today about the Spirit, and he's talking about this issue in context of the spirit and which spirit is which. And it's an important thing to, to try to figure out which one is the true spirit and which is not. We've been studying through first John. And so this morning, you can go and begin turning your Bibles if you have them with me to first John chapter four. We're going to start there this morning. And, uh, as we've been studying through this and preaching this on Sunday mornings, uh, it's a series called the Lord of light and love. And of course, those are some major themes at play, uh, in, in the book of first John that are actually in many ways, continuations of what John wrote in his Gospel of John. Now, last week we talked about two commands given to, given to us by the Lord, and, and it's how we know that we remain in Him. And it's to believe Jesus Christ and to love one another. Those are the two big things Dennis preached over and over again last week. And so, if you if you can remember that much, that'll help you uh, this week as we look at it, because this week John talks about spirits, which remember he talks about in First John two. And this week, he's going to talk about that spirit of the Antichrist again. And in fact, it's the only other time I think I, that it's mentioned in 1 John. And so I just want to note that Dennis gave me the only two passages in 1 John with the Antichrist to preach. So I'll, I'll remember that. <laughs> uh, but read with me. We're going to read 1 John. Uh, I'm actually going to start the last verse of chapter 3. And that's just to help us transition into chapter 4. So I'll start there and then you can follow along. Scripture says this, the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God, and anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. And so as we as we take a look back through that passage this morning, I want to start with verse 24, all right, and because that's that's our turning point, okay? He says this, the one who keeps his commands. All right, reminder. He's talking about the commands that were just talked about in John or First John three. Okay, so it's it's to believe in Jesus and to love one another. That's how we can know that that we remain in Him. But to know that He remains in us, that's a different phrase He uses immediately. He says we know that because of the Spirit, and thus we're introduced into this concept of the Spirit because we talked a lot last week about Scripture and feelings and how they compete against each other and how we trust Scripture in place of that. And that's kind of how we test our feelings sometimes is through Scripture. Well. Likewise, we discover in this passage that we're going to test the spirits with Scripture. And he, he develops more tests than, than just that. But let's talk about this spirit. Let's define that. The, that is the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when he says spirit in this passage, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, which is given to every believer when they first accept Jesus as their Savior. All right, so when you hear the gospel, when you understand that uh, Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins that, and, and rose again, that you might be forgiven, he paid the penalty, uh, when you believe that good news, you put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? That's what we like to say, is your Lord and Savior. 
you're given the Holy Spirit. That's your a, a free gift, grace upon grace, if you will, right? Because God gives you that. And that's, that's really the classic way that we've always understood whether or not someone is saved. Do they have the Spirit? Think about some of the ways we, we talk. You know, oh, I, I think so-and-so is a Christian, but I'm, I'm not sure. Well, do they bear any fruit? You might hear that from a, a pastor or a fellow Christian. Do they bear any fruits? Well, the fruit we're talking about is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Yes, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Someone who bears fruit of the Spirit is probably connected to the vine, right? Jesus. And so someone who has been saved has also chosen to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so from time to time, they'll be convicted and comforted and, and spoken to. Sometimes the Spirit will come into our lives and like callings on our lives. I call you to do this, right? And so we know that we become under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We accept that. So that's, that's what we mean when we say the Spirit. But how do we know the Spirit is from God? One of the commentaries I, I studied this week in preparation uh, suggested that at this time in, in the early church, where, where John's writing, right, uh, there's likely a lot of what you might call spirit-filled behavior, okay? And, and, and so the Spirit is kind of a, a new thing to them still. And, and oftentimes what, what this meant is things may have looked a little bit more Pentecostal. Right. They may have been a little bit more trusting of the spirit back then. And so they kind of had to naturally develop some rules. Right. Which makes me feel better. That's just the kind of guy I am. I like I feel better with with rules. But if you're a little bit more pessimistic like me, which you're in a Baptist church right now, which is already a mark against you in this area. All right. So I'm sorry. But but oftentimes we as Baptists are historically a little untrustworthy of the spirit at work. We have to work on that. We have to be careful there because the spirit does move and we don't want to quench that. But oftentimes we, we get a little pessimistic. And we're like, I don't know. Is the, is that person really being moved by the spirit or are they just, you know, wanting something out of that? You know, because that can happen. We can often try to fake whatever the spirit might be doing and then blame the spirit. I see that in student ministry classically with the line, God told me to break up with you. Right. That's a use of the spirit. Right. And so you can see why we we get upset and, and, and suspicious. Right. And so John, I think I think they're having similar issues. And John, like, let's let's lay out some rules. You want to know if the spirit's from Christ. Here's how you're going to be able to tell when, when people say the spirits at work. And so John points some of these things out. In verse two, he points out the main key. All right. We're going to find two keys here. But this main one is he says that uh, the spirit will confess Jesus Christ has come, right? And he even specifies this here. He says, not only will Jesus, you know, the Spirit will confess that Jesus Christ has come, but that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, right? This kind of hints at what's probably going on in that context is that you've got people back then who are, who are kind of combating with John's church, and they're saying that Jesus wasn't really all that fleshly. He was really more spirit than he was flesh, or he was spirit at one point and then flesh another. He died and he's come back as spirit. And all of that was, was silliness. And John was competing against that. He says, no, 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 no. Jesus was divine and Jesus was human, right? It's a classic uh, Christian uh, creed that's very orthodox for us. And we've kept that true forever because that's what we see in scripture. That's what John understands. Remember John 1, the word was made flesh, John says we have to hold those two together. Jesus is divine and Jesus is flesh. And so we can recognize the Spirit of God first and foremost when it confesses Jesus the Christ. When it confesses Jesus, we can trust that a little bit more. Now, I also believe that in this passage, we find some strong ties, as we do, I think, in, in all of, of John's letter here, to 
the Gospel of John, right? Not only themes do we see uh, show back up, but we see uh, we see right here there's some strong ties, I think, to John 16. In John 16, Jesus is telling his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He's telling them about this, this comforter that he's about to send them. And when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit uh, to you. He even calls it, in that passage, a spirit of truth. And so I'm just going to read you a few verses from John 16. He says in verse 12, I still have many things to tell you, Remember, he's talking to the disciples. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. What I want us to focus on is he said the spirit will not speak on his own. Jesus would speak like that sometimes. He would say things like, I only speak what my father has given me to speak. Right? He's alluding to something there that... The Spirit and Him and God, right, God the Father, that is, they don't all speak in contradiction to each other. They don't speak on their own, right? They always speak in unity. The, the triune God we believe in speaks in unity. Let me illustrate this by asking you, have you ever as a child asked your, your mom or your dad one thing and they didn't give you the answer you wanted, so you went and you asked the other one? Have you attempted that? I have attempted that, right? I, I went to a dad and I asked him a question at, don't even remember anymore what I did this because I only did this once or twice, y'all. I learned my lesson, I promise. I, I asked him something like, you know, can I go play video games? And, and maybe I've already played forever. And he's like, no, you, you need to go outside, you know, and I go ask mom because dad said no. And mom's voice always outrules dad, right? I know that the, the no from dad will be overruled by a yes from mom. So I go and I ask mom, mom, can I play video games? Go. Yeah, you can play. And so I go and play. And then who discovers me playing video games? Dad, all right? So he's mad. I go, mom said I could. You know, you're not going <laughs> to counter you with mom. Like, you you can't stop me now. Well, that did not work, all right? And because they figured this out immediately, and I was, I was kind of p- patting the two against each other, right? And uh, you, you may have heard the uh, phrase out there, all sins are equal. That was not the case at our house. That was a grievous sin. That was swift punishment. Uh, I only tried that once or twice uh, because th- th- they wanted to speak in unity, right? And so if I tried to combat the two against each other, it was bad news, right? We, we knew better at our house. In fact, after that, if I watched my siblings attempt it, I, would, I was a terrible brother. I would just watch and be like, that's not going to go well. <laughs> I ain't going to warn you, but that's not going to go well. Yeah, like I would just know because they wanted to speak in unity. And it's even more perfect with God because God isn't like that, right? Mom and dad can be in separate rooms and not know for a few minutes what the other is thinking, all right? That's possible. But God is not like that. He's not in this room, in that room. We don't have like God the Father hanging out in this church and then God the Spirit hanging down the Pentecostal church down the road. It's not how God works, right? God is always present in every way. And so God is in unity with himself. He does not contradict himself. The trick I learned as a kid is impossible to do with God. So just like with our feelings, as we talked about last week, we can check that against God. So too with our 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 God's word, we can check that against the spirit because God's word is God's God's testimony, right? What he has said, right? He gives us Jesus, the story of the gospel, all of this that that we have in in God's word and scripture, we can trust that. And it's not going to contradict or the spirit, rather, is not going to contradict that. So if I see Jesus says something here like, love one another, but I feel the spirit within me saying, love one another, except the spirit within me is wrong, right? The spirit within me is not of God, right? Because it's not going to contradict 
the Lord. And so we can recognize the Spirit of God when it agrees with Scripture. And so those are your, your two uh, recognitions, if you will. We can recognize the Spirit of God when it agrees with Scripture and when it confesses Jesus the Christ. So that's how we can recognize it. But let's, let's talk a little mo- more about the difference. What's the difference between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of deception? The biggest difference is, is very simple. It's the Spirit of God defeats the spirit of deception. Understand, I'm going to use the words spirit of deception, the spirit of the Antichrist, spirit of the world are, are very much interchangeable uh, when we look at them in John. And so you, you'll hear me talk about it in different ways, but the spirit of God always defeats the spirit of the Antichrist, always. This is where we get that that great verse in verse four. Uh, this is the one we see on on like at Hobby Lobby with these signs that we'll hang next to our cross walls at home. The one who is in me is greater than the one in the world, right? There's that wonderful little verse. And of course, I I think it's really a reference, okay? I think John, again, is, is kind of alluding to something from John 16. The Spirit of God conquers the spirit of the Antichrist. Why? Because Jesus conquers the world. He says that. John 16, towards the end of the, the chapter in verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to have trouble in this world, but be courageous. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Because Jesus has overcome the world and God is in unity with himself, the Spirit of God will always overcome a spirit of deception. And uh, because of Jesus and, and the, the grace and mercy of our Lord, we get to share in that. I talked about that about a month ago again. The, the victory that Jesus provides that we just sang about and we'll probably keep singing about. And that's just the truth, right, Matthew? We're going to keep singing about it. That's a, a victory that we share in. That's not a victory that was that was won just, just by himself and for himself, but for us as well. And so we get to share in that. And so we see it, and again, verse four, right before that famous little line, we see you have conquered them. And it's present tense. It's this, or, or, or perfect tense, really, because it's a, what, what another commentary, I talked about this a month ago again, but a commentary stated it, I, I really think, quite well. He says it's a past fact with continued consequences. Jesus overcame the world, and therefore it remains forever overcome, right? That doesn't stop. It doesn't end. The Spirit of God deals in resurrection, but the spirit of deception will remain dead forever. I I once thought as a kid that God and Satan was kind of like Star Wars or or Lord of the Rings, like like an eternal battle of good versus evil. Uh, But that's, that's not really true because that's not what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't speak of a internal battle of good versus evil that are perfectly balanced. It talks about a defeated evil and a victorious Jesus standing over it, right? Good has, has already won. In fact, there was never really a chance, even a thought that evil would somehow conquer. And so we see that it's, it's at this point, Jesus has already overcome. It's finished and we're simply picking sides or picking sides in a battle that's already been won. How simple is that? That's so uh, wonderful and stress-relieving for me. I hope it is for you. We can choose the Spirit of God, which will lead to life, or the Spirit of the Antichrist, of the world, which will lead to death. And so I think the most important question to ask ourselves of when we look at this passage is, which spirit is in you? Which one are you allowing to influence your life? Because we often subject ourselves to one or the other. Right. Matthew t- talked about it in terms of, of worship, right? It's always, you're always worshiping something. You're always under the influence of a spirit. Is it the spirit of God or is it the spirit of the world? There's a key theme that shows up here in verses five and six I want us to look at. I'm just going to read it again. Verse five says this. 
They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who's not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Notice again that, as I talked about, the ways we can see the spirit of deception in the Antichrist, the world. The spirit of God is the spirit of truth. We'll use that one interchangeably as well. So those who are from God, though, we see this situation at work. They're not just saying that we're from God, therefore you always listen to us. It, the idea is that those who are from God will listen to the Spirit at work in those who are from God. So I'm listening to God at work, right? But the world, if you notice this, the world only listens to itself. The world will listen to the world because they're of the world. So the world only listens to itself, but those who are from God will only listen to the Spirit of God. But if you're listening to the world... That's a very shaky place to be. I mean, it's, it has all kinds of problems, and part of it's because the world's always changing its mind about things. I mean, definitions throughout the year change. Our very language begins to change over time, and, and what we say now may not mean the same thing in, in 20 years. And the world says life is more complicated than really what it, what it needs to be. It'd be far more simple if we simply believed in Jesus, Follow Jesus, loved others. Those were the commands. Notice that when I, when I started the sermon, I didn't list out 10 reminders from last week's sermons, that there were 10 commands with all little subpoints. It was actually quite simple. It was a very simple way of knowing, but the world is not that way. It's, it's, it's not complicated to be a Christian. It's hard, but it's not complicated. It is complicated to be of the world because you have to care about everything. I, I hope every student in the room, all of my youth out there are listening to this here because this is why you all get so anxious and worked up because you have to care about everything in the world. You have to care about every movement, everything that comes up, and you have to know about it too because you can't be ignorant. If you've noticed that ignorance is a very mean thing to call somebody nowadays. It used to be like, I, like I don't necessarily have any problem fessing up to somebody that I'm ignorant of electrician work. Why? Because I'm not an electrician. I don't, it, it's not the end all be all that I know that. But nowadays, if there's a movement you don't know enough about, you're a bad person. And so we do this all the time with our, with our students. Certainly we make things more complicated. It's not even good enough to remember somebody's name anymore. You have to remember their pronouns as well. You have to be very careful in this world. It's all very complicated. No wonder we see so many students out there who don't want to talk to people. Why? Because they're going to say something wrong. <laughs> Someone's going to get mad at them for it. The way of living life with Jesus is so simple. You know, I, I saw this uh, video on Instagram recently I thought was hilarious. It was some comedian out there, and I don't know his name, but he talked about this concept, and I think in a very easy way to grasp. He said he, he walked up to a friend's house once, and there was a welcome mat. And the welcome mat was one of those that you, you've probably seen signs like this or signs in somebody's yard. In this house, we, we welcome and love all LGBTQ plus people, all uh, black lives, all, and they list out all of these things, right? Six or seven things that we list that are all the kind of top controversies throughout the world uh, right now, right? And so that's, that's what that list will say on the welcome mat. And the comedian says, I actually kind of got stressed out because I looked at the mat and I thought, well, before I go inside, I've got to make sure I make some one of these categories on the list. He, he, he talked about it. He said, a far more inclusive term, it seems to him, would be welcome. <laughs> you see how we complicate things? The world complicates things, but it doesn't have to be so. Why? Because Jesus covered all of that, right? Love one another. Just love each other, okay? Figure all of the stuff out. Just love each other. You don't have to 
figure out all these weird, complicated rules. If we listen to the Jesus way of living life, it's love him, follow him, love others. It's very simple. If we listen to the world, truth will always become complicated. But if we listen to the spirit of God, truth is actually quite simple. So who are you listening to? We're going to talk a little bit more. I, I Recently, my, my graduate studies are coming to an end. I've been having to read a guy named Carl Bart. He's an old theologian. And at one point in his theology, he talks about God speaking to us. Now, the way he understands it, and I think this is true, is that the word of God comes to us, right? God speaks to us. And you have to understand, when you hear the word of God, that in and of itself is an act of grace, right? You're doing nothing to pursue that or find that. God is, is speaking to you and enabling you to hear from him. Right? When the Spirit moves in you, and in fact, here, here pretty soon we'll have an invitation, right? If the Spirit moves in you, that's an act of God moving on you, not you, right? And so when God speaks to us, though, when we hear from God's Word, there's an implied response. That's how Bart will talk about it. Bart will go far as to say it's impossible not to respond because to truly listen to the word of God is to respond to the word of God. To truly listen to anybody is really to take action in some way by responding to what was said. And so we know we are from the spirit of God if we listen to him and respond to him. If we listen and respond. Let me give you an illustration to help to all my married people in the room. I've only been married for almost two years here in just a few weeks, two years. So I'm still taking tons of advice from all of you, but I've learned at least this much, okay? I've learned that if my wife walks into the room and she says a bunch of things like, dishes really need to be cleaned, or I would sure love to go to Chipotle this week, or even, you know, my car is almost out of gas. If I don't do anything about those statements that were said, ladies in the room, have I listened to her? No, right? Because until I wash the dishes, until I I go and I fill the car up with gas and I take my wife to Chipotle, right? Then she will not be able to look at me and say, you never listened to me because listening required action. I can't just listen to her and be like, okay, you know, you want Chipotle? That's fine. I was, I, I want pizza. You know, like that's, I have to take action. Listening requires that. And the truth is that God has spoken to us and the word in which he has spoken to us is named Jesus Christ. We have to respond to that. Listening to that, listening to the story of of Jesus dying for your sins and rising again that you might be forgiven, that you might love him and follow him and be with him forever. If you hear that story, like you just heard, by the way, you're not innocent now because if nothing else, I just told it to you. And if you hear that and you can't respond to that, if you don't act on that, you're not listening to it. You're not of the Spirit of God, but you're of the Spirit of the world. Those who accept Christ will listen to that. They'll act on it. They'll respond and obey and thus prove they're from the Spirit of God. Jesus mentions this in his sermon, uh, his sermon on the Mount, actually, in Matthew chapter 7, towards the end, after all of these things that Jesus preaches, this notorious sermon that we study and study. He says this in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. That's what Jesus says about it. If you hear me, if I, if I come and I be your Messiah and you hear all of that, you don't respond. 
You're a fool, is what Jesus says. That was his language. He'd call you an idiot. <laughs> that's, that's harsh, but it's true. We know we are from the Spirit of God if we listen to him and we respond to him. Don't make things complicated. Respond. I'm going to invite Matthew back up here for a final song. And as he plays this, Dennis and I always offer up a, a chance to respond in this invitation. And you're going to have that chance because you've heard it. The word of God. We, we like to say around here that the word of God never comes back void. How true. We preach and we look at the word of God together. And the best way to test that spirit this morning, that spirit of whether or not you're from God, if you're feeling a conviction in you right now, in fact, you're thinking, oh, I'm getting really uncomfortable with a lot of things he's saying. Test it. Look at scripture. Look at what I've, I've just looked at. See if what I'm saying is true. Look at other scriptures. I've, I've talked about John. I've talked about Matthew. Go look at those. Right? We can check it against scripture. I'm telling you that Jesus is true. Jesus, the son of God, has risen again. And if you listen to that morning, you have to respond in some way. And the best way to respond, and again, just to throw my old friend Carl Bart back into the mix, he would, he would call it Thanksgiving. It's a perfect thing to think about this week, right? A response to God offering you salvation is Thanksgiving. And that's acceptance. That's belief. That's action. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.